0: Welcome to 49er Access, my name is Sterling Bennett and this is episode number 63 of the podcast and today we're going to react to the San Francisco 49er Week 15 victory over the Atlanta Falcons, including a dominating defensive performance, a new emerging star next to Nick Bosa on the defensive line, and the shades of 2019 have been pulled wide open and I think, I think... We finally have a consistent vision as to what this Niners team will look like this year. First, I want to say Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. This podcast should be out on the 20th of December. Again, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Uh, Niners play on Thursday. Two days prior to Christmas, December 23rd. Should be a very good game against the Titans. But We're going to talk about the Falcons game today, and let's start with the injury report. Talanoa Hufanga, he had a knee injury. He was the only player on the report to not return to the game on Sunday versus Atlanta. Nick Bosa was tested for a concussion. He did come back clean and did return to the game, as well as Jaquiski Tart, who had an ankle injury, got taped up, went back into the game. Uh, So Talanoa Hufanga, someone to keep your eye on in regards to injury reports coming in the next few days as San Francisco plays on a shorter week following their Week 15 win versus Falcons. So let's actually jump in to this game itself. And I want to talk about where San Francisco is now in the standings, where they're at in regards to playoff seeding. And the Niners, with the win advanced to 8-6 and six on the season, just now a game and a half behind the Rams for the fifth seed, the Niners also have an 83% chance to make the playoffs, so while it isn't all locked up, it isn't, you know, lock, stock, and barrel, put the key, throw it away, Uh, this Niners team has a really, really, really good chance, and again, it's not guaranteed, but we're inching closer to guaranteeing a playoff appearance for the Niners this year, and it's funny because if you would have told me... Five weeks ago, six weeks ago, when this team was two and four, and we're sitting there and we're like, man, who is this Niners team that we would be potentially, potentially going to be nine and six if we do beat the Titans, nine and six, possibly a game out of the fifth seed that you would not have, I would have said, what are you talking about? Come on, like, no, like, we're not not this good. But an impressive turnaround for this Niners team. Credit goes to Garoppolo, Shanahan, Warner, Bosa, the entire defense, the entire offense. Uh, But if the playoffs started today, right, that's a big conversation of, well, what is seeding? What's the matchup you want? If the playoffs started today, that being December 19th, that being December 20th, when this podcast comes out, the 6th-seeded San Francisco 49ers would travel to Tampa Bay to take on the 3rd-seeded Buccaneers who actually just got shut out 9 to nothing versus the Saints in prime time in Sunday Night Football. But could you imagine that storyline? Those headlines. Tom Brady playing what was supposed to be his protege, in Jimmy Garoppolo, the Niners versus the Buccaneers in Florida. The defending Super Bowl champions. Oh, that would be Well, I do not want that to happen, at least in the first round. Uh, that would be an incredible storyline, but let's talk about the win on Sunday against the Falcons. Let's talk about what led us to being 8 and 6. The Niners won 31-13, a dominating performance. If you follow what's on social media, that being Instagram, you would know I thought 33-23 would be the score. I gave Atlanta maybe more props than they should have gotten, but the way this defense played in the game today, I think it very easily uh, could have gotten worse, but the defense played big, came up big when needed. And really, that was from the first play of the game because the Niners got the ball to receive and... Well, I think most fans, or at least for myself, I never like receiving the ball. I always like deferring to the opposing team. Uh, I I would rather have the ability to manipulate the clock late in the first half if I can get it back. Maybe I can score late in the first half and try to continue that momentum into the second half. But on the literal first play of the game, the offense has not even taken the field yet. Jamichael Hasty. He coughs the ball up on a fumble, happened to be the 10th fumble of the season for San Francisco, and while they would go on to total their 11th fumble with the Garoppolo and Mac mishandled snap, talk about a way to start a game. Talk about just an awful beginning to a football game that you have to win, right? A, a game, well, maybe isn't a must-win to a certain degree, but it's a game where if you want to establish that you're a dominating force and you can beat really bad teams, and not just, like, escape with a win, like the Niners kind of have been, that you can essentially destroy really bad teams. And that's the way you start. It's not the great message. And so, Atlanta comes out, has full momentum, and you're sitting there kind of like, wow, like, they're probably going to go down put up seven points on the board, score early and it's going to make our our offense play from behind, right? Well, thankfully, uh, our defense decided to step up in a big, big way. Uh, The Falcons' first drive started on San Francisco's 12-yard line, inside the red zone, just 12 yards away from a touchdown, and it looked pretty bleak early because Patterson, Corderell Patterson, he seemingly had a touchdown run, and... I'm sure like myself and many of you out there, you're saying, We're really down 7-0 because Jamichael Hasty, who, let's be pretty honest here, probably shouldn't be on this team had it not been for Sermon and Moser's injuries. When Wilson came back, Hasty was the odd man out. He's someone who's had a fumble problem the his entire career. He had a fumble problem in camp. He had a th- he had a problem last year prior to getting hurt he is someone who has dealt with this issue and it's that issue, that being a fumble issue is something Shanahan will not tolerate, Um, so I was very surprised to see him out there over and over and over again because he almost did it again later in the game on his second kick return, just don't, stop taking the ball out any niner kicker turner, stop taking the ball out of the end zone I don't know what it is but if your name is not Brandon Ayuk, and even sometimes he scares me, just there, catch it. Let it go in the end zone. Just give Grapple on the offense, which was humming against the Falcons and has been playing extremely well. I mean, Extremely well the last few weeks. This let them take care of business, right? Uh, but anyways, back to the defense. Patterson's touchdown gets overturned. Falcons have some time management issues. They have to burn a timeout. It really was like, why are you burning the timeout early in the game? Like, what's going on? But I get it. It's an important drive for them. They want to secure a touchdown, send a message, uh, continue the momentum off of the hasty fumble, and really kind of stick it to San Francisco early, improving a point of, look, we're here to play. We're 6-7. We essentially are still fighting for a playoff spot. Despite being a really bad team. Uh, but thankfully, Jaquisky Tart, and it wasn't just him, but I want to single him out here. Jaquisky Tart had a phenomenal playing coverage, his instinct kicked in, he's a veteran player, he knew where to be at the right time, and they stopped the Falcons from scoring on fourth down. They do not elect for a field goal, they stuffed them on fourth down. But then, while you're thinking the momentum changes, San Francisco goes three and out. And in that drive, San Francisco's, I guess, technically their first drive of the game post-hasty fumble, that was the first instance where I saw a common thread in this game. Despite the win, despite the success they had offensively in the passing game, and on the ground, they dropped a lot of balls against the Falcons. I counted three, maybe four, and I believe three of them going to Juwan Jennings, and these weren't balls that were hard to catch. They were right in his hands. You know, Debo had one as well, which that one was probably tough coverage. But again, still, if the ball touches your hands as a receiver, you, you got to catch the ball, especially on a drive like that where you're stuck on your own like two yard line. Got to get a first down, and when Garoppolo is feeling himself, you have to capitalize on that stuff. But anyways, they go three and out. Atlanta gets the ball back, and there is a play during this drive that kind of encompassed what this game really was and was going to be throughout its throughout its four quarter runtime. And that play was when Atlanta had to call their second timeout with over eight minutes left in the game. Or in the first quarter, excuse me. That right there to me was This game was going to be the well-run organization versus the rebuilding organization. But the sad thing is, is that the rebuilding organization, to a certain degree, it's not like a full rebuild. You have Matt Ryan, you have veteran guys on this team, and if you're watching the game, or 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 happen to maybe Greg Papa, who on KMBR mentioned it on the radio broadcast, Matt Ryan was visibly angry. Because Arthur Smith, their head coach in OC, didn't get him to play fast enough. And Matt is yelling expletives, saying, You gotta give me the play! You gotta give me the play! The play clock's running down! You gotta give me the play! And I think that was kind of... I don't want to say dysfunctional, because it's too harsh of a word for a quarterback like Mack Ryan. But, essentially, that's the word I'm going to use here, because there, there was some dysfunction, and that's what this game was likely going to be. I understand... I didn't do a podcast last week, I had family in town, so forgive me for celebrating the holidays that way, but um, this game, in my opinion, was a game San Francisco was going to win, they should win handily, and every facet of the game was favored towards them. And when I saw this play, I said, yep, this is exactly what this game is going to be. It's going to be a Niners team trending upwards, uh, likely should have a better record than they actually do, versus a team who is somehow, some way, staying afloat despite. Again, I don't want to use this word, but I'm going to. Despite this weird dysfunctionality, this, this weird organizational funk therein, ever since Mike Smith got fired and Dan Quinn got fired, um, for kind of being painfully average post Kyle Shanahan departure after the Super Bowl loss. But that's kind of where they're at, right? And that play was the first play I said, yep, this is what this will be. And as soon as that point happened, even despite Atlanta getting a field goal out of that drive, I knew that San Francisco had this win in the bag. Uh, The Niners are well-run, despite the issues I have with Shanahan and and Garoppolo and the defense at times. That was the moment. That was the pinpoint, circle on a map, put an X on it, X marks the spot. That was the moment in this game where I said, and maybe many of you said, this is going to be a fun game to watch. Because it's going to be mismanaged by the Falcons, and Shanahan and Garoppolo feed off teams like that. They dwell and and are able to manipulate organizations and teams like that, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, But before I get into the defense, or excuse me, the offense, I want to talk about the defense here, because the defense deserves a ton of credit. The Niners' defense... Going back to stopping the Falcons on that first drive inside the 10-yard line, the Niners' defense against the Falcons, they forced three turnovers on downs inside their own 10-yard lines per Elias Sports. That was the first time in the last 40 years that a team forced their opponent to turn the ball over on downs within the 10-yard line three times or more in a single Game. For all the flack this defense has gotten, and for all the maybe lack of confidence in Demeco Ryans, and the lack of confidence in the secondary, which at times, rightfully so, they play their butts off. The last few weeks they've played their butts off, even being short-handed. The scheme has been right. Veteran players are playing up to their potential, and some of them are playing their best ball we've seen in a really long time. And that's what it takes. Now, it doesn't take record-breaking performances like this every single Sunday, but what it takes is guys to step up in big moments. And this team right now, they look like a playoff team. This team looks like a defense ready to go into Dallas, uh, into LA, wherever it may be. Maybe it's Green Bay, wherever it may be. Who knows? That will go in there and they'll put up a fight. They they still may lose, but it's gonna be ugly and bloody and gruesome. And that's the kind of football this team has been wanting to play since week one. And I have another tidbit for you, another fun fact. Some facts. The Falcons, they ran five plays. Five. Kind of one, two, three, four, five. From San Francisco's one yard line, not the 10, not the 20, on the one yard line, one yard line away, one football length away from a touchdown, they did not get in the end zone on any of those plays. Talk about phenomenal. And don't get me wrong, the Falcons, they stink. They suck. They are statistically the worst football team in the league per DVOA. Now that that isn't the end-all be-all, but it is a good baseline as to where teams are. A more deep dive into the analytics where a team ranks. They stink. And I love Matt Ryan and what he's done for Atlanta his entire career. They don't have guys like Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage who did play on Sunday but has missed time this year. Kyle Pitts has been, I don't want to say misused, but they're trying to implement him in the system still, and it's not their fault the offensive line stinks. They're working on stuff. They're rebuilding. They're retooling. There are reasons to why they stink. But if you're San Francisco, this is the performance you needed to have. And the reason why I say need isn't because it was a must-win, because it really wasn't, but it was a game where you look at it and you say, out of any team we play, In the last five games of the season, who should we beat? And The Rams, we have their number. Okay, I get that. The Texans are a really bad team, right? The Titans, they've been inconsistent without Henry and Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, but they've beaten really good teams. Then there's the Falcons and the Bengals. Well, San Francisco beat the Bengals, who are a good but young team. But the Falcons, different story. An older team. With rookies playing bigger roles maybe they shouldn't have, or guys on this roster who have been around for a long time but really aren't career starters playing starting roles on this team. This is a team, and I I hate to say this, but the Atlanta Falcons are like what a really bad Oakland A's team looks like. Right? And, A's fans, I'm sorry. I don't mean to disparage you at all, but there have been some really bad A's teams in the history of the organization. This is what it was like. It was like the Giants, in their prime, 107 wins, playing a bad ace team. Where they can pitch against them, hit against them, play defense against them, and all the way around, beat them in every facet of the game. And they should do that. That's exactly what this was like. And so, that defensive performance definitely, to me, at least started with Fred Warner. Someone who has struggled, has not lived up to the potential or the price tag on the contract he got. Uh, I think he had, and, and and many others do believe this as well, that he had his best game of the season against the Falcons on Sunday. Nine tackles, one quarterback hit, one pass defended, and one fumble recovery. Uh, the one thing I have likened Fred Warner to is a lion searching for his prey, and Not to say that he lost that earlier in the year, but he wasn't that, right? He wasn't that lion that was, you know, bloodied lips, uh, you know, was doing anything he could to chase and hunt his prey. But on Sunday, he got back to that. He was all over the ball, making plays left and right. You can tell he's kind of found or refound his confidence. He's found who he needs to be hitting his stride at the perfect point where this team has to stay ahead of their competition at this point even if san francisco wins out and the falcons went out or excuse me not the falcons excuse me the saints went out and the washington football team if both those teams went out along with san francisco they own the tiebreaker now while i do not think of those things will happen this year has been like no other San Francisco, while not in must-win games every single week, they have to stay ahead of their competition. And one player they're going to need is their defensive captain, Fred Warner. Having him show up in a big way against the Falcons is a great sign, not only for the final stretch of the season, but if you can get to the playoffs, having a prime Fred Warner, having a Fred Warner who's worth that big-time contract, that's going to pay dividends in big primetime games, playoff games on the road, likely maybe against Dallas. At, at, at this point, could also be against Tampa Bay. Could also be against Arizona. We just don't know where we might play, because let's be pretty clear here and, and honest. This season, in every single seed, maybe outside of Green Bay, who looks like the the runaway number one, at least in my opinion, anybody can be anywhere. Like, well, unlikely, it still could happen where Tampa Bay is the fifth seed. We, we just don't know. Like, there's so many things that could go wrong or go right or go left or go right. You just don't know. But this is a good starting point, a good building point in knowing that Fred Warner looks to be himself again. But I want to get to the run defense here because the last few weeks, DJ Jones has kind of found himself in the conversation of a budding star. For the defense. And while I do agree with that. Uh his name wasn't called too much, but usually when your name isn't called, it's kinda like the the offensive line to a certain degree, where guys like on the interior defensive line do not get the credit they deserve. And this Niners run defense, despite playing against a team that really isn't that great, they they had to play against one of the better offensive weapons in football in quarterbell, Patterson, and a running back in Mike Davis, who despite being an X niner and having a solid enough career. He isn't a world beater by any means. He isn't the bell cow, but he's a physical dominating presence who you would expect with five plays at the one yard line, he would at least get in one time and he didn't Patterson who has is having a career year late in his career. He didn't do anything. There was 18 rushes besides Matt Ryan's a few, few scrambles. The Niners' run defense gave up 42 yards, 2.3 yards per carry. Cordero Patterson, who, again, is having a career year, held to 13 total touches, 23 total yards. The average, 1.7 yards per attempt. Someone who is considered, and I think in many of our opinions, at least from a fantasy standpoint... Having a really good season, San Francisco held him to 1.7 yards per touch. Ladies and gentlemen, that is complete and utter dominance of the opposition. That's insane. What Demeco Ryan's in this run defense has been able to do the last couple of weeks, they slowed down Joe Mixon. We are at a point where we were, we were hollering and cheering every single time he touched the ball because we could stop him. Our run defense looks phenomenal. And in a week, actually in what, four days against a Titans team who has really had a hard time running the ball, this is a perfect time to continue that trend. A perfect opportunity to continue to be one of the best run defense in in the league. And it wasn't that way for a long time this year, right? Earlier in the year it was, we can stop the pass, we just can't stop the run. Well, that... I don't want to say it's flipped, but it's definitely evened out a lot. The run defense has picked up big time. Going back to the Seattle week and that three-game win streak we had, no team really has been able to run the ball against us very well. Not one. The last rushing touchdown I can think of was Adrian Peterson's rushing touchdown. But other than that, like nothing comes to mind. Like That's how good this run defense has been. And it's funny because a lot of the flack the run defense got early is now kind of being directed towards the secondary. And that's simply because Mosley's hurt and Verrett hasn't been healthy all year. And the depth is a big question, right? Dante Johnson missed last week for very good reasons against the Bengals. Um, But it's been Ambry Thomas. And this Sunday against the Falcons... They stuck with Thomas in a move that I think many of us wouldn't have expected. I'm sure many of us thought, well, Dante Johnson's back. He'll probably play. We will get better cornerback play, right? Well, the Niners said, no, no, no. We're going to stick with the rookie, for better or for worse. And I think this week was kind of a... kind of to give him some confidence, right? To give Thomas a look. You struggled last week. It was your debut starting. You played a really good receiving core. Go out there again and play against the Falcons and continue to learn. Uh, this is a game where we think we can handle most things uh, and and you being lined up against Russell Gage or Kyle Pitts won't hurt us too much. Pretty much, we can deal and, and, and handle the errors you make because we are a better team in almost every single aspect of this game and every single matchup we might have. Uh, so they stuck with Thomas, and was was it great? No, it wasn't. It, it really wasn't good, but just like last week when I talked about his performance post-Bengals win, I mentioned how patience is important with a cornerback. How, yeah, it was ugly against the Bengals. They, late in that game, they decided to target him over and over and over again, and that was the right move on their part, and they Probably should have done it a lot more. But in this game, yeah, there were times where he got Moss for a touchdown, and it it wasn't great. Kyle Pitts got him. Russell Gage got him twice. I mean, Thomas dropped at least one, if not two, should have been INTs. And one of those almost turned into a Kyle Pitts ripping the ball out of Thomas's hand almost for a catch. Like, there were times where you say, oh, you almost had it, Thomas. The turnover was right there. And there were other times where you were saying, "Man, Thomas is so overmatched, but... And I'm no cornerback guru by any means, but in my opinion, Thomas didn't play bad. There was improvement that was seen, and and that's really important. He was rarely out of position. There was no illegal hand-to-the-face penalties against guys who were bigger than him. That's tough. It's really hard. And so... You know, it was a pretty clean game from his end outside of those three really big plays. And one of those big plays, that being the gauge touchdown, really shouldn't have happened. Because of that bogus roughing the passer call on Arden Key where he sacks a guy and he falls on top of him. But that's where his momentum was carrying him. And Ryan went with it as well. Ugh, bad call, ref. Sorry, but but that goes into my defense of Thomas. The touchdown should have never happen, and and now of course, it did happen. Thomas has to be better, of course he does. But he was in good position. Gage is just taller than him. He's bigger than him. You can't do anything about physical size. Thomas can't grow four inches in a day. But overall, I I I liked what I saw. From Ambry Thomas. It wasn't overall, was a great? No. Was it good? No, but it was better. It wasn't bad, it wasn't awful, but it was better. And that's the important thing. Now, are there concerns going forward? Of course there are. Like, how is this team going to play against the Titans team, which will want to pass the ball and likely have to pass the ball? Mike Vrabel is not dumb. They will target Ambry Thomas over and over and over again, and maybe we see Dante Johnson against the Titans. That's what I would do, but I would re re uh, reiterate to Thomas that look, we haven't lost confidence in you. We trust you enough uh, to at least go out there and take your bruises, take your hits, learn. You have to learn sometime, Rook. You know, like that's the way it goes. Welcome to the NFL. And so, yeah, it wasn't great, but it wasn't it, it, it wasn't awful. So, how about a C? A, a solid C for Ambry Thomas, but that goes into my second point here, and that's because uh, even with a maybe an inconsistent cornerback group and depth issues and relying on Josh Norman, who will miss a tackle and then make two good tackles in a row, then blow a giant coverage, uh, there are two amazing pieces we have in that secondary, and that is Jimmy Ward and Jaquisky Tart. Uh, they have been playing off the charts, and... Ward, who was overlooked for a long time, kind of got his uh, recognition in 2019 for playing elite uh, man coverage. And, and while not getting turnovers, he was phenomenal in coverage. He limited big plays. But now Tart, while not lighting up the PFF grade book, he he's playing arguably his most consistent season since 2019. While that's only two years ago, I think we're getting a better Tart here. I think he's playing more consistent. I think he's making bigger plays, and maybe that's the reason why I believe that because he's showing up in bigger plays in clutch moments more and more and more. And maybe that's maybe that's it. But I do think with Tart hit a huge tackle on Matt Ryan in this game. I believe it was on fourth down. I thought it was third down, but a huge tackle again on 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 that first drive of the game. That huge, important momentum shifting, uh, pass defense. Uh, on 4th down, on that first drive, on the 12-yard line, uh, where the Falcons could have easily gone up 7-0. What does he do? Comes up clutch, big stop, and great job by Tart And Ward on the other end, big red zone stop late in this game. Uh, And so, uh, despite the secondary struggles this team may have, the two safeties we have to back up those guys, to kind of aid them, be their security blanket, has come up big over and over and over again. And against a team like Tennessee going forward, I have a lot of confidence in what this team can do, at least knowing that those two guys are going to be back there and healthy uh, for hopefully what seems like the remainder of the season. Now, Tart's ankle is always a question mark and anything can happen on on any given Sunday, but uh, having those two guys, knowing those two guys are going to be back there to aid a a rather weak cornerback room uh, makes me feel pretty confident in what this defense can do uh, for the remainder of the season. But then let's move. Let's move down to the pass rush. What affects the secondary the most? The pass rush. And the last two weeks, this pass rush has come alive. Now, it was good against Seattle, it was good against the Bengals, and it was continued to be phenomenal against the Falcons. Uh per ESPN stats and information that being Nick Wagoner, uh, the Niners pressured Matt Ryan on sixteen out of thirty-nine dropbacks to put that in percentage points, that is nearly forty-one percent. Of his snaps. And 12 of those... Came in the second half. Matt Ryan was pressured... Almost 50% in the second half. Again, that's insane. Knowing they were down... Knowing they had to pass over and over and over again... That's... Phenomenal work. And the Niners only blitzed 7 times. It wasn't like they were rushing you know, five or six guys. Like, they weren't doing that at all. It was just pure pressure from Bosa and Armstead. There was a play in this game, I kid you not, where Matt Ryan snapped the ball, and immediately, Eric Armstead was right in front of him, like, standing next to him. And now, thankfully, I guess, maybe not thankfully, but maybe for his own health, Matt Ryan got out of the way and got the ball off, but it was a is like blinking and missing like Whoa, how did he get back there? And that just goes into the credit this team deserves in regards to how well they're playing right now as a unit. They're feeding off each other. People don't realize how important it is to really work as a team on the defensive line. The interior affects the pass rush and the edge rush. The edge rush at times does affect the interior rush. Containing the edge does affect the interior defensive line, and right now they're playing as a complete unit. And on Sunday, they had 10 quarterback hits, three sacks, two tackles for loss. It was a dominating performance. Now, could it have been better? Yeah. And Matt Ryan was a little more mobile than I think many of us thought he might be. But that's a veteran savvy quarterback who can do things like that. Uh, he's essentially a more mobile be- Big Ben Roethlisberger, right? Now, you may disagree in regards to stats and career and stuff, but what I mean is a veteran guy who's smart. Who can throw the ball away? Who can, you know, make certain plays with his feet to a certain degree? Who, who knows what a defensive look is and can adjust to it? That's what Matt Ryan was doing. He's, he's Big Ben, Philip Rivers, whoever you want to put in there. He's a smart guy. He's savvy. He can elude some of the edge rush, some of the pressure he gets from a Niners defense. But a lot of credit goes to Nick Bosa, which we all know, having a great year: fifteen sacks in fourteen games, just phenomenal. Uh, I believe he's four sacks away from tying Alden Smith's record in Niner history. That's how good he's been, and I believe he has four games left. So, a, a-, a lot can happen. And when you're playing a Texans team who has Davis Mills back there, uh, I-, I-, I would expect Bosa to... I- I'm not going to put that pressure on him, but or-, or put the expectation on him, but Nick Bosa has a good chance, I'll say, uh, to tie Alden Smith, if not surpass, But even if he doesn't, Nick Bosa has been Defensive Player of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, he deserves at least one of those awards. Um, but also, I cannot overlook two other players. And one of these players is this new emerging star we need to talk about. Uh, because one of these players, out of these next two, has stepped up in the absence of D. Ford, has stepped up. Uh, in the absence of Javon Kinlaw, he's played a dual role on this defensive line. He's allowed Eric Armstead to move from the inside to the outside to add versatility to this defensive line. The first person who is not this rising star but has played better recently that is Samson Ebukam. He had a sack against the Bears. He had a sack against the Bengals. He also had a sack against the Falcons. Now, Ebukam might be overpriced, might be overpaid. We know that, we understand that he has not really, really played out the performance or up to what the expectation was with that big contract he got. But he's playing better with more snaps, and I think Ebukam is starting to come into his own, starting to understand the scheme. And having him and Amentaheu and Kinlaw, when he comes back healthy, and, D- and 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 Jones and Armstead and Bosa. That gives me hope for the future, at least to have a rotational piece. Now, overpaid, maybe, but I'd rather pay Ibukom than a, a an injured D-Ford. Uh, D but let's talk about Ardenkey. This is who is this rising star. This is who I believe has kind of become... I don't want to say D-Ford light by any means, but he has kind of... He was always kind of... Uh, the the take a risk, a low risk, high reward player. And I didn't know he can play on the interior defensive line, but in the absence of Ken Law, he is someone who has allowed Armstead to play outside still. And he has jumped on the inside to kind of aid this defense and has played really well. Uh, and, and so with D Ford being out, the uncertainty of will he play, will he won't play, now he's out for the season, I'm a full go and key guy. Now, there's going to be some dumb stuff here and there. We, we we saw it, right? We saw the headbutt to Russell Wilson a couple weeks back. It was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, there's a Raider in there somewhere still. <laughs> there is a dumb penalty maker somewhere in there still. Uh, but Arden Key has come into his own. He has five sacks this year. All of those are post-week eight. He has come into his own. He should have had two sacks. Should have had two sacks against the Falcons, he could have had six sacks... if Arden Key... let's say that second sack counted, right? Where uh, he got called for the in the passer. That sixth sack would have put him in the top ten... in regards to sacks post Week 10. That's how good he's been the last few weeks. Like Arden Key has come alive in... maybe in a world where D Ford isn't here... or whatever move they want to make in regards to depth... Maybe he's this year's Kerry Hyder. I don't know. But I am very happy to have Arden Key here. And for $1 million, you talk about a steal. Like, he is essentially Kerry Hyder 2.0. But I do think we have a better chance of keeping Arden Key simply because he likes the fit. He wants to be here. And on top of that, I think he's seeing, for the first time in his NFL career, sustainable success. In this system, with this defensive line, why not stay? Like, I would be talking to Arden Key right now. Yeah, we'll give you a one-year deal with a player option. Or, or, or a team option in, in another year. We'll give you 3 mil next year. Cut Jordan Willis loose. Uh, see what you can do with D Fort's contract. If Ibukom has to stay or you can rework some things. Uh, there'll be plenty of money to go around this offseason. Arden Key, at least in my opinion, is a guy you have to bring back next year, at least for one more year. Don't let him escape like Kerry Hyder did. Don't play this Russian roulette, uh, spin the wheel, and find the new edge rusher. He ain't, they ain't running backs. We need edge rushers, especially if they continue to not develop or invest in these secondary positions. So Arden Key looks like a star, and a lot of that credit goes to D'Amico Ryans. The last few weeks has been just an insane defensive scheme. Even the Seattle game, had Mosey not got hurt, had Tartan not got hurt in that game, that game looks different. A lot different. Uh, so, D'Amico Ryans has stepped up big time. Kyle Shanahan's talked about it, talked about how he's really proud of him and how he stepped up early. Like, there were times where Shanahan was calling plays for him, and now I I, I think there's confidence there. In Shanahan... Two Ryan's, and I do think there is now that built-up trust of you are now a defensive coordinator. There's plenty of times that at my job, and I, and I'm sure in your job as well in your line of work, where someone gets promoted. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's somebody else in the room. And there is that has some some hesitancy to kind of let go of the job, right? To kind of allocate somebody else. Shanahan's a big guy who doesn't allocate very well. And I do think now we're 15-14 weeks in, I do think he's starting to realize, okay, look, I can trust you. I have my back. You have my back. I have your back. You are, at least for right now, a good defensive coordinator. And I do think if we can get you more talent in the room, this unit, while is likely overperforming this year, can be a top-five unit next year, which I do think is... A really, really, really good thing to look forward to in the future. And before we go to the offense, one final note on Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa now has six sacks, or a sack in six straight games, essentially. That is the longest streak by Niners since Alden Smith in 2012. Seven straight games. Nick Bosa is one game away from tying Alden Smith's consecutive games with a sack record. This so much history all the way around. Whether it's defensive line stops in the in the red zone, Nick Bosa, Arden Key, just so many stats, so much history being made day to day on the Steiners roster, week to week on the Steiners roster. But that doesn't stop here. No no no. The offense of side of the football was it was a different animal. This offense essentially since the Bears' second half, because the offense really wasn't that bad against the Cardinals, despite the two turnovers by Kittle and, and Ayuk. But let's start with that Rams game. Ever since that Rams game, this offense has been on fire. Now, there have been times where it's kind of middled out, the Seattle game, the Bengal game, really in the second half of those games. But this offense, and I want to put this in perspective, in their last 10 drives the Niners have put up 38 points. That's roughly 3.8 points per drive. Now, for some more context here, the NFL's points-per-drive leader are the Los Angeles Rams at 2.83. San Francisco is almost averaging in their last 10 drives a full point more than the NFL leader. Then the Matthew Stafford-led Rams, So we all talked about how, oh, the Diners should have got Matthew Stafford. He's a good quarterback by all means, but this Niners team is playing better than them. That's how good they've been in the last 10 drives. And, and, and in my opinion, really since that Rams game on Monday Night Football. But let's talk about everyone's favorite tight end. Let's talk about the people's tight end. Let's talk about, and I'll say it bluntly and clearly, Let's talk about the best tight end in the NFL because on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons, George Kittle was still, still on his game. Six catches, 93 yards, 15.5 yards per touch. Just another great game. Didn't get in the end zone, but... He happened to pass Rob Gronkowski for the third most receiving yards by a tight end in his first five seasons in the league. He's in fact 85 yards, which he will likely get against the Titans. And if it isn't against the Titans, he's going to get it against the Texans. He's 85 yards away from moving into second place. Currently, the rankings are Jimmy Graham, Kellen Winslow Sr., and George Kittle. If Kittle gets up, Just a little over 300 more yards, roughly 330 more yards, he will have the most receiving yards in the first five seasons of any NFL tight end in league history. A Hall of Fame trajectory. And the 93 yards he got on Sunday against the Falcons, George Kittle now has 425 receiving yards in his past three weeks. That ties him for the Raiders tight end, who all the many people, Raider fans, who Max Cross, he's better than Nick Bosa, Darren Waller's better than George Kittle. You had one year when the guys weren't healthy, when the guys weren't playing well. Such a mouth. Okay, George Kittle has now tied Darren Waller from last year for the most receiving yards by tight end in a three game span. That's insane. Darren Waller, great story, great person. Phenomenal player, great year last year. George Kittle is going to surpass that. George Kittle, in the last three games, just like I said, 425 receiving yards, right? That exactly matches his total receiving yards in the first eight games of this year combined. That's insane. Kittle's production has essentially doubled in the last three games. Talk about a resurgence to reestablish yourself as the league's top tight end. And someone like Kittle, who now has 850 receiving yards this year, that is also third amongst tight ends, despite missing three games, Kittle's someone who... We talked about earlier in the year how it's pretty much Debo and nobody else, right? Debo was the offense against the Lions. He was the offense against the Eagles and the Packers and the Seahawks. And there really was nothing happening. Then Kittle got hurt, right? Well, ever since Kittle came back, Kittle has kind of been that Debo. But the great thing about this is, is that Debo didn't go anywhere. Yeah, he he's limited, missed a game. But what I mean is the production on Debo's end didn't change. And with Kittle now playing up to par, San Francisco now, at least in my opinion, has the best, yes, I'll say it, the best receiver and tight end duo in the NFL. I respect Hill and I respect Kelsey. They're great. And on any any given Sunday, you can pick one of these duos. But the last three weeks, last month in the league, Debo and Kittle have been playing better than those two guys, and arguably with a better quarterback, at least in the last stretch. Obviously, Mahomes is better than Jimmy. But in the last month, you give Mahomes, Kittle, and Debo, that Chiefs offense gets better. That's how good they've been. Just phenomenal play by Kittle. In his last three games, 33 targets, 28 catches, 425 yards receiving and three touchdowns there's nothing you can say other than oh well, that's, that's really good it's really good because it is and it's better than really good it, it's the best in the league that's how good George Kittle has been Debo Samuel the other one-two punch part of the duo six carries on Sunday 29 yards one touchdown four catches for sixty yards. Debo Samuel, more history making, has five rushing excuse me, has a rushing touchdown in five straight games, the longest streak by any receiver since the merger. More than Percy Harvin, more than Cordell Patterson, more than any receiver since the AFL and the NFL merged together. History in the making. And this is my final point in regards to Debo and Kittle as a duo. Debo Samuel has 1,088 receiving yards. George Kittle, 850. If George Kittle can get to 1,000 receiving yards, it will be the first time the San Francisco 49ers have had two 1,000-yard pass catchers since 1998. Can you guess who that... That duo was in 1998. Yeah, you got it. Hall of Famers, Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens. Hall of Fame trajectories. And breakout seasons from Debo, resurgences from George Kittle. Just phenomenal all the way around. And the best thing about this is... Because in the NBA, take the Warriors, for example. I work for the Golden State Warriors... Uh, at, at 95.7 in the game, and there are plenty of nights where Tim Roy, who, phenomenal play-by-play man, he makes dozens of calls where they say, well, Curry sucked in the defense, and it allowed someone to get wide open. That's exactly what Kittle and Debo Samuel do. They can get doubled all day. It gets Jennings open. It gets Ayuk opened. And at, at times, you can get each other open. Debo has to have two guys open. This Niners offense, like, it blows my mind how good this team can really be because they're still missing their best running back. Like, this Niners offense with Debo as receiver one, Ayuk as receiver two, Kittle as tight end one, and Elijah Mitchell and Jeff Wilson as the running backs in the backfield, like, that... that's the best unit in the league And I'm not trying to be a homer. I'm really not. The league has been devastated by injuries, which do play a part in this. But as of right now, you cannot find me a better offensive unit in the league that is not the Niners. It's better than Green Bay right now. Better than the Chiefs. Better than Baltimore. Better than Buffalo. Better than Mac Jones and the Patriots better than the Colts and Jonathan Taylor, who's having an insane season. This Niners offense is putting up historic numbers day in, day out. You can't miss it. The league's not missing it, and right now, like I said the past couple weeks, you give me this team in a playoff game, they can upset anybody. 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 Even against the Falcons, who are really a bad team, and I really understand it, and I don't want to let that go through as like, well, the Falcons suck, so of course they played well. They should have played well. But it's not just this past week. And here's the thing, is that they can get production anywhere. Jawan Jennings had a touchdown. Jeff Wilson had a touchdown. Kyle Juszczyk got his first rushing touchdown of the season against the Falcons. The Niners are one of the very few teams in the league that can beat you from any position on the field. Heck, they—if it wasn't for maybe some some illegal contact, if it wasn't maybe some some pass interference in Jacksonville, or you know maybe he was a little more open, Trent Williams could have a touchdown this year. They would have literally beat us, or they could have beat anybody. From any single position on the field. Like, that's how good they've been. San Francisco. Their offensive unit right now. Kyle Shanahan's in his book. He's pulling out tricks out of his bag. He almost made Debo throw a touchdown today. We haven't seen that since the Saints game in 2019. And when you know Kyle Shanahan's feeling himself the way to tell when he's throwing himself is when he's pulling out trick plays, not gadgets or end around or, or orbit plays. I'm talking about when he's letting receivers throw the football. That's when you know, Kyle Shanahan's feeling himself. That's when, you know, he's, he's confident. He knows they can win. Now don't get too overconfident. We know what happens then. Pride comes before the fall, but Kyle Shanahan knows. He knows Kyle knows Kyle. Eh. He knows. He knows his team is where they should be right now. And it's oozing out of him. And same goes for Garoppolo. This Niners team, Kyle Juszczyk said today that while Garoppolo wasn't eating anything different, he was ready to have a good game today. You can feel the aura around him. And before I get to Garoppolo, I I I don't want to look past Jeff Wilson Jr., who had his best game of the year, best game of the year, like just uh, bounce back. He was kind of building up to this, needed to have it, but a great game. He had 110 yards, five point yards on the ground, one touchdown. He he looked like Jeff Wilson versus the Patriots, and touchdowns weren't as much, but he looked like Jeff Wilson that we will need to pick up the load if Elijah Mitchell. likely cannot go against the Titans. Uh, I I have no worries now of who is RB1. It's Jeff Wilson Jr. until Mitchell comes back, and then San Francisco has reestablished their two-headed monster again. But anyways, Jeff Wilson Jr., great job. Back from the knee injury, phenomenal job. I want to talk about Jimmy G. I want to talk about this man who has uh, quieted his haters in the last month and a half, who has played his best football since 2019, and... Really, a lot of that credit goes to the offensive line because they were great. Great today. Uh, there were certain times where it, it, it wasn't beautiful, it wasn't pretty by any means, but uh, I don't think Gropolo was sacked once. Uh, maybe it leaked in there one time, but from me watching the game, he had all day to throw. Like... Garoppolo had the white paper played out. He had the, the wonder bread out, the wheat bread out. He, he was making a sandwich on sourdough mayonnaise and mustard and, and tomatoes and lettuce. And he was like, Oh, you're open. And he was hitting guys wide open. Like he, it was just an easy day for a quarterback. And when you're a guy like Garoppolo, those are the days you have to capitalize on. Those are the days that can kind of make you feel better about yourself. And, They're essentially confidence booster days, but in Garoppolo's case, he's been playing so well, it's almost a day to kind of, I don't want to say, again, boost your confidence, but it's it's almost a day to where you can, you can kind of say, I don't have to really outperform anybody. There's no pressure on me. I have all day to throw. I can go through all my reads, even if it takes me longer than usual. We all know Garoppolo might not be the, the fastest progressor. He might not be able to, the, the best reader of, of, of his progressions. That's what he did on Sunday. He had all, all day to throw. He went through his reads. He found guys open. He hit the quick targets. Like This is a day for Garoppolo to kind of sit back, relax. I, I played baseball for a really long time. And, there were days when guys were lobbing up, you know, 70-mile-an-hour fastballs. And, you're just sitting back. It's an easy day. The whole team is teeing off. And, there's no pressure on you. You're just vibing out there on the field. Vibing in the batter's box. That's kind of what it was like. Garoppolo is just sitting there. He's vibing. All day. Just vibing. One, two, three dropbacks. Hitting guys open. It's just, you know, to quote Future, it's a vibe. Like, that's pretty much what it was like. And... You know, th- there were a few plays I want to kind of highlight for Garoppolo. One was the play where he did get pressured. And um it gave me, I had a kind of a, a memory of 2020 when we were playing the Cardinals uh, at home with COVID just kind of hit. And, and the fires creeped back up. And this is a really bad situation. Trent Taylor and Pettis are playing receiver and Grappolo is running in circles <laughs> in the, in the, in the pocket, and we're kind of sitting there like, the heck was that, like, what, what are you doing, and uh, it kind of gave me the memory of that, and, but in this case, Grappolo, who was kind of getting sandwiched in between defenders and stuff, he just, like, flicks the ball at his wrist out, and Wilson gets, like, a six-yard gain. Like, this was a game where anything is going, right? Where everything is going for you. Every ball is dropping for you. And, again, while it wasn't the perfect game, Thomas didn't have a great game in secondary, the offense was just booming the entire game. Uh, whether it was Kato or Debo or Ayuk or whoever it was. And, and, and Ayuk didn't have his best game, but he made phenomenal run blocks. There, there was a Debo Samuel uh run where Ayuk was just eating that receiver alive. It just got up in his 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 uh, his equipment and his his pads and was just like holding him there like stiff. Like it, it was a strong block. It got Debo like 15 yards down the field. Just great. Uh, but the other throw from Garoppolo, and I think it may have been his. I don't want to say best pass of the year because the Bengals game had a ton of great passes. In uh, even that Vikings game on that first drive, that pass to Juwan Jennings was also really great, but. Garoppolo released this ball that I'm gonna talk about with such velocity, it was like one, two, three, boom. One, two, three, boom. And he hit that that you know that three or five-step drop, and he looked at Ayuk, saw him with the crossing route, and this bam! Right in the chest. Ayuk caught it, you know, in the middle of a stride. Debo with a great block on the left side of the field. Passed the left hash. Just held him there. Held a great block. Ayuk ran for like 35 yards. It was just a great pass from Garoppolo. Great catch by Ayuk. It was really what football should look like, right? It, it, it was that Mahomes-esque. Timing was perfect. A receiver ran down the field. like That's what it was like. And I want to highlight that because Jimmy was feeling himself today. Jimmy was 18 for 23. He had a 78.3 comp percentage. That was the fourth highest, the fourth highest comp percentage in his 61 start career in which he had 20 plus attempts. Jimmy Garoppolo was on his game today. In fact, one of the biggest complaints of Jimmy has been air yards, not you know, pushing the ball down the field. Well, in this game, albeit against a bad defense, we know, it's Atlanta, he had as many completions of 20-plus yards as he had incompletions. He had five passes of 20-plus yards today and five incompletions. That's how good Garoppolo was. He was pushing the ball down the field. Like, he has been in his bag Jimmy GQ, porn star Jimmy, I kind of titled him Jimmy, Trey Lance, who, Garoppolo, because the conversation's over, right, it's been done for a while, right, and, and there was a point in this game where I was like, hey, you can put Trey in, whatever, you know, it's five minutes left, eight minutes left, put him in the game, and Shanahan was like, eh, no, no, I'm okay, and I understand there was maybe a worry of, we saw what this team did to us in 2019, and... Shanahan's been kind of buckshot to pull anybody out because of the Lions game, uh, but I kind of think—not that Shanahan's done with Lance. Obviously, he's not by any means, but I think he's like, I oh, don't, I don't, I don't need Lance right now. Like that—that future is so bright, and I'm so excited for it. But like, just live in the moment, you know? Like th- this is going good. It's a hot summer fling. It's hot. It's steamy. It feels right. It feels good. I'm gonna just sit in this. I'm gonna enjoy it while I can. And we're gonna ride this thing until it stops. And if it stops, okay. We'll go our mutual ways and we'll have fun. And then I'll then I'll find my my uh my soulmate, you could say. My my lifelong companion in Trey Lance, but this is essentially the the climax of that summer fling, right? Jimmy's playing really well, Kyle's you know, in his bag of tricks and just a great game, a great game, and I want to leave you with this, because I'm not sure if I can get a podcast out, I'll be going to Los Angeles and the LA area, uh, to surprise my girlfriend for the holiday season, uh, so if I don't see you guys, or talk to you guys, uh, there will be a podcast out post-Titans game, but if there isn't one out pre-Titans game, I want to give you my prediction for that game. I do think it'll be 27-23. Niners over Tennessee. They're not going to have Derrick Henry. They're not going to have A.J. Brown. Uh, They're not going to have Julio Jones. I do think San Francisco wins that game. Probably going to get a little healthier. Might get Dre Greenlaw back. Could be a fun game. Uh, And I'll definitely be watching the game. Uh, But I want to leave you with this stat. Everyone has been talking about, well, the... Ideal plan is the Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes plan for Garoppolo and Lance, right? Well, I want to read you something. Jimmy Garoppolo, this year, he is 234 for 350 in regards to completions, two attempts, 20 total touchdowns, 11 turnovers, 99.2 rating. Those numbers will obviously go up by the year's end. He'll probably have 26, 27 touchdowns, hopefully. Uh, maybe one or two more turnovers. That rating will probably you know stay around 98 to 100. He might get over 3,000 yards, You know, 3,400 yards. Alex Smith, in his first 13 games in 2017, the year they drafted Mahomes in Kansas City, 293 out of 436 more attempts, so Smith has over 100 more attempts than Garoppolo, so pretty much the same. I can argue Garoppolo's having a better season than Smith in regards to comp percentage. Smith had 24 total touchdowns, Garoppolo to 20. Smith, 6 turnovers to Garoppolo's 11. And Smith's 104.4 rating to Garoppolo's 99.2. We are seeing history repeat itself at least in regards to Smith and Garoppolo. I want you to keep that in mind. There has always been a plan in place. Always. Always. Hard to see sometimes. A little foggy. That San Francisco fog kind of creeps in over the bridge and you can't see the other side. But it's there. It's got to go through some mud and some fog to get there. Maybe some rain. Maybe some snow. Maybe some icy roads, some wind on the bridge. Feel a little shaken. But there is a, a the opposite side, and we'll get there. Now, Lance now because of that has to win a Super Bowl next year and the MVP. Uh, but no, I'm 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 kidding. But my my, my, my my point more so is that there's a plan, and it's you know coming out right in front of our eyes, and I think it's important we see that. All the talk of Lance, Lance, Lance. Like, no, no, no. This has the, been the plan the entire time. This is where it should be. This is how it will happen. We're in a good place as a franchise. We're 8-6. Could be 9-6 and six by Thursday. I think we will be 9-6. and six. Going to be a hard fought battle traveling to Tennessee on a short week. But right now, let's live in this moment. Let's celebrate a victory Monday post-Niners victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Man, that feels great. We're, we're riding high. We're living high. It's the holiday season. If I don't talk to you until Christmas, I hope I do. But if I don't, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Enjoy your family. Be safe. Please know that I appreciate you. That the listens, the likes, the comments on social media, I take all of them into account. So again, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Have a wonderful Christmas week. Go Niners. Enjoy the victory Monday tomorrow. Hopefully a victory Friday. The first one of the season might be upcoming. I think it will, but we will see. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Instagram, 49ers.access. Twitter, 49ers underscore access. Let's talk about this game. Great game. Let's talk about the Titans game. I'll be on my phone. Trust me. Let's talk about that game against Tennessee. But until next time, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave that review. My name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast. And until next time, stay faithful. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you.